clubhouse. This is Caroline. This is Steph. This is Sheila. And this is Mike. Welcome to the I Know This Much Is True podcast. Tonight we're talking about the finale of season one, series finale, episode six. I had complicated feelings about this finale. What did you guys all think? Sad, heartbreaking, and then at the same time, like, gush of, like, all the feels just came out. I felt slightly hopeful at the end of it. I was sort of thinking we had no hope for any sort of happy ending. I don't know if we got a happy ending, but I feel like I had a little bit of hope for the future. Yeah, I agree with Steph. I, I felt hopeful at the very end. I mean, like the, the slog of getting there was very heartbreaking and just I felt like everybody was just coming undone. But, you know, I, at the end, the very end, I did feel hope. I think we were kind of dead on in a lot of predictions. The show definitely tried to end on a, on a hopeful note, the idea that the river of life just kind of continues. So I don't know if it's hopeful as much as you have to keep going, right? You, your life doesn't stop just because everyone, you know, your brothers does or your father or your mother or whatever it is. You still have to go. There are people that still want to see you the next day. What do you feel like was the hardest moment of this finale for you? The despair when Dominic was at the top of the falls, Mm -hmm. you know, him and Ray shouting for Thomas and just, he just crumples over and it's just distraught. He's grabbing his hair. He's just, I think that's bottom for him. I would agree. That was, I just was so sad. And as soon as, I don't know, I just, kind of thought maybe Thomas was around or something but as soon as I think the phone call said oh we're calling about the missing person report I was like oh no no so it was just heartbreaking I th- I think for me it was the same it was the, the falls with Ray and Dominic but for me it was actually Ray it was Ray calling out Tommy I don't know I found it very affecting the emotion in his voice the screaming Tommy which is I don't think we've ever really heard him say Thomas's name at all and let no something nothing is as affecting as Tommy, which also my son's name, and that's what I call him. And so, yeah, it was a lot of things there. I'm a little bit of a tie between the desperate moment of realizing he wasn't in the apartment Mm -hmm. and the looking, like the opening the bathroom door and looking around and like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then my second tie moment is actually when Lisa and Dominic hug. And I thought Rosie O'Donnell did a brilliant job. I know not everyone loves her as a human being, but that moment of... You know, we both worked so hard together, you know, Mm -hmm. like we were the team and we lost him and just the breaking of hearts there just really hurt. Were you guys surprised that they dealt with Thomas and his death so soon in the episode? I, you know, we, we had all said that we thought he was not going to make it out of the series. I think I was surprised, taken aback by that it was done before the, the intro music. It was a surprise. I was just kind of thinking we'd see a little bit of Thomas and Dominic trying to live together or trying to work this out. Or I just thought we'd see a little bit more. And the last episode, he said he wanted to go to the falls and then Dominic takes him there and then they leave. I sort of breathed a sigh of relief I was like okay good they made it away from the fall so I thought okay we, we got a little bit more time here and then it just was like that night or I, I mean it seemed like that day right was it the first night I think it was yeah. the same yeah so I was like I mean night, yeah. he didn't even make it one day like that that was just horrible I had the same thought. How about you, Sheila? Was it were you shocked that it happened so fast in the episode? No, I was kind of cynical because I saw how long the episode was. I figured they were gonna like just off him early. And... <laughs> <laughs> I know this sounds so callous. I'm sorry. I just figured that that was gonna be the setup for the episodes. Mm-hmm. I guess I'm a little more callous than the rest of you. I expected to have a little bit of time with him in terms of getting a chance to understand where he was at, mm-hmm. um, you know, when he came out, because, you know, there was, there was just a lot of looking around that he did, to be honest, when Dominic was speaking to him at the falls and he was saying, look at this, Thomas, look at that. And then Thomas would just look at him with that, like, are you talking to me kind of look? And so I just, I, and I guess maybe that's the answer to what I wanted is that's where he was at. You know, he was at a point where he was just literally staring fairly blankly he was already a ghost yeah he was already gone yeah and that moment i can tell you guys when he asks to stay longer at the falls and go down to the water and dominic says no it's too cold we can't do that right now i'll bring you back in in when it's warmer in june and he gives this look to dominic which was not in any way aggressive or anything like that but was just like okay And then Dominic does the thing that I think a lot of people do with especially special needs people or maybe elderly people, anyone who's a little compromised in some way, where you say, how about your favorite food? And there's Mm -hmm. this like reward thing about it that it's a little hard to explain, but 
it's almost like the most primitive form of communication you can possibly have with another live being. It doesn't even have to be a human. When you are luring someone away with food or something, an animal, anything with food, that's you're already at your last option. I, I recognize that for my own life to be like, oh, no, he's got no more tricks up his sleeve. He's at the snack reward. <laughs> and when you get to that, you are in trouble. I don't want to make light of this episode, especially after, you know, last week. I think we got all of our sillies off of the season. But I was I was put off because the music finally, you know, for after a couple episodes, the music actually <laughs> uh, caught my attention with the MTV. And uh, mm-hmm. I am a huge fan of PM Dawn's Set Adrift on Memory Bliss. That song and that music video did not come out till August of 1991. And it really fucked with me <laughs> that they were playing it in this episode because the Madonna Cherish and the epic, you know, uh, Faith No More's epic. Those were older songs that were out by what we learned. It's May. I was really like, I was like thrown off that they dropped the ball. What, what a weird thing to play that song and have that in the background when that song didn't come out yet. I, I, I don't know. It just took me out of the moment for a second. It was really strange. That's a really good catch. But I would have to say that I thought that the music across the board in this episode spe- specifically bothered me immensely. I understand a somber tone, but it was this cliche haunted house music. I mean, at one Super point. Super haunted house. Yeah. At Super one point, it house. was like playing like a howling wind i actually wrote down that like the music sounds like dirge like dirges you know yeah but it but almost almost worse than that because it sounded like special effects haunted house music you play for halloween like it was so cliche and cheesy i just didn't get it like it really really bothered me i kept trying to remind myself and i'll tell the listeners we get screeners and at the beginning of it it says the music could change for this so since we're recording this in advance our listeners to this might be hearing different music that plays when it actually comes out on Sunday. But the music we heard was crappy. I mean, we were just short Mm -hmm. of like chains rattling like ghosts. I mean, I was really unhappy with it. That was really, the uh, intro music was very like, it's a ghost! It was terrible. (laughs) Oh my God. I wrote all over my paper. Like, what? I was like, I don't want us to call and interview the music person, but I kind of need to know what the fuck they were thinking. (laughs) I also jotted down that it sounded like the, like, quintessential, like, 90s, like, MIDI music. I don't know if you remember this from back in the day. Like, it was very like synthy and just very yes 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 one step above like nintendo original nintendo music yes, <laughs> yes. Was, yeah but sheila i know what you mean also it's almost that um also that organ like you know yeah. like when it's like something really scary or something you're like all right this isn't like it's a dracula a movie. no right yeah this frankenstein didn't come around the corner like stop playing this type of music like every this is far more of a human story than to play this really caricature version of a dirge like just quit you know play something that's legitimately heartfelt sad sounding i didn't get it i didn't get the choice yeah when the police officer comes to talk about the missing person dominic introduces ray as my father pause my stepfather i thought that was interesting that he initially called him his father that he thought of him that way and then obviously sitting with the funeral director lady the the idea of the birth father the the first name of the birth father comes up and Ray's jumping all over that uh, we don't know you know that's that's not like known information so I, I thought it was just kind of nice setting setting the table for for the theme of the father identity which obviously plays itself by the end of the episode. Well, and I'll add to that that there was a complete back and forth on that because like you said, he's calling out to Tommy as if it's his son. And then they say, who's the father? Ray doesn't say his name, even though he is the legal adoptive father of Thomas, which means that's the name you would probably put on the certificate. Any other adopted child, that's what you would put. I mean, if it's legal adoption. So I'm like, why wouldn't he have piped up his own name for that? Yet... They asked for the birth father specifically, right? I just think you would say, I'm his adoptive father. Like, you would right. own it. Do you know what you I'm saying? You would fill in that void. Exactly. Yeah, I think you would. Because why? they wouldn't assume, you know, they wouldn't. I think it's odd that they said birth father because you would just say father, mother, living relatives, whatever. You know, most uh, obituaries, that's what it would have. But I just thought, I was like, that's weird. And then the, just the back and forth of like, are you my son? Are you not my son? You know, him making such a big deal of, I adopted you on this date, and this is exactly what the judge said, to the whole, like, well, how should I know how to raise you? I barely knew you guys kind of attitude of, like, which is it? 
Right. Well, I mean, there's a lot of that in this episode. So, so let's actually get there, because I think the first time that really comes to a head is at the funeral. We have uh, Priest McAwkward um, oh talking, uh, talking to Dominic about how he was not like Cain. He what? did not kill his brother. He was the defender. He was the keeper. And to Ray, this this uh, pillar of the earth father who took uh, took care of these boys in an awkward situation that not everyone you know, would would be talk about two uncomfortable looking guys, but especially mm. Dominic uh, during the scene because we also get the flashback to the parfait. What did you guys think of Dominic here? Was he more squirmy because of the words the priest was saying, or because Dessa wasn't there? What was his body language speaking to you guys? I think because he kept craning his neck around, he was looking for Dessa. I think somehow that was his his focal point. The fact that she wasn't there just you know, kind of made him so look unsettled and just not focusing on what was actually being said. Were we surprised that Dr. Patel and Lisa Sheffer did show up? I mean, Dr. Patel's never observed any other kind of boundary lines with her patient. So <laughs> were we surprised that she showed up to this funeral too, I guess, as part of the equation? I think that that part was extremely uncomfortable for everyone. I can tell you that if something had happened uh, I, to any one of my kids and a school person or anyone like that showed up as much as I understand some level of thinking they're showing respect on another level. I would be like, you're (laughs) you, I don't know where you stood on teams here and you're not comforting to me because you were only in my life because of strife and conflict. And this is a day when I need to remember Thomas as my, my brother, my being children almost. Cause that's kind of where Dominic wanted to stay in this entire episode for me he wasn't thinking about Dominic as a teenager or Dominic as an adult he kept the flashback and even things he was pointing out to him in the cemetery children they stayed they went back to a childlike mm-hmm. place in his mind I thought not that-, that he comes off any better as a child <sighs> we're gonna get into that flashback you guys I have a lot of I have a lot of comments on that but I do want to say that you asked the original question was why was he squirming I think that There's that weird thing where people are sort of become like saints or something when someone passes away, then all of a sudden everyone, you forget all conflict, you're not allowed to talk about that, right? So you only talk about the the potential good things. So I think he was uncomfortable because this was not nearly telling the story of Thomas. I think that he might have been just like uncomfortable also being the center of attention. I don't think Dominic is somebody who seeks the spotlight. And, you know, in those moments when the, you know, priest McAuford is talking to Dominic, like all eyes on the funeral procession are on him. So I think that might have also played into it. Well, yeah, especially also being called your rock and his rock and his defender while having these flashbacks after the priest mentions the special relationship. This whole funeral really bothered me. I wrote down worst funeral ever like this. I don't know if you called him priest or father. It just really bothered me. So I I mean, I would be squir- I was squirming just because of what he was saying. You're giving it one coffin out of five. Oh, it was awful. Throughout this whole series, they've made a point to talk about Thomas's belief in God and in salvation and in and any funeral that I've been to or someone does believe, like that's what they talk about. Like, guess what? Like he's set free. Like I expected him to be saying like he's happy now. Like Thomas has been set free from this prison of what's been holding him down. He is happy now. He believes that he went to heaven. And so I wanted to hear that. I wanted to hear that Thomas is now free from this prison that was going on in his mind why are you talking about his brother and his dad like when you go to a funeral you're talking about the person and their life and what they contributed and what they were about the whole thing I was just not I was not okay I'm like I don't like this I don't like what he's saying like why would you bring up Cain and Abel and murder at a funeral like what I mean Cain and Abel is like the worst twin story ever like don't bring that up you're, I mean, you're so right, Steph. You're so uh, right. That entire thing. And I think that one of the things coming back to like the special needs angle is there's a lot of times, though, that the individual isn't perceived as a person yeah, with like their own life. Totally and, ignored him. Right. Just... Their, their own life, their own contributions, their own people. I would imagine the fact that Thomas lived at Hatch as long as he did, not the prison side, but the side where he had the coffee cart. Mm-hmm. There were no one there that 20 years, you know, someone wanted to, you know, uh, be pointed out as some yeah. story about him and wouldn't that have been enlightening to Dominic and to Ray if you had uh, had other people or other stories that the priest or, or pastor had in, incorporated that was like this is Lewis his roommate yeah. who he loved and this is Mrs. Carey who always helped him at arts and crafts like you know what I mean like yeah. if you're gonna go around the group 
I can't believe that Thomas didn't have more of a life. And I think that it was that special needs trope of like, well, he didn't have a life and he didn't have anything and else. Like, and well, I don't the brother and true. the dad took care of him. And yeah. these, these are the great people. Like, yes. it really bothered me. I was, yeah. I was. But I thought that was believable in how people would handle that. That the only story that the priest actually focuses on about Thomas is about his special relationship with his mother and what kind of games must they be playing up in heaven together? It's like, what? The I know. I was, even... I was like, oh, oh my, my God. And he's a 40 year old man. Yeah. He says it like, like one, he says it like he's an infant, but two, Ooh. he says it like, like almost like accusingly, like what yeah. kind of, you know, we, I wish we were there to spy on them. Or they're getting up to Gross. the hijinks in, in heaven. I, yeah, I thought it was weird. weird. He said, oh, they're reunited playing special games. I was like, what does that yeah. mean? It sounded like nothing, like incest all over the okay. place is what it sounded <laughs> this like. This funeral made me uh, mad. And then we cut to this flashback where she takes him upstairs to go play their special game. Let, let's get into the flashback. Because this was, I think, the most revelatory flashback of the entire series. I, I think this showed what kind of brother Dominic really was. Uh, I think it showed that he really wasn't very much unlike Domenico, who also tried to teach his brother Vincenzo uh, a lesson, uh, and maybe he learned the wrong lesson. Uh, I thought there was a lot of parallels there, but Caroline, I know you said you were a hot to trot on this one. Uh, talk to us about your takeaway from this this jello parfait kitchen flip-out flashback. I felt like, well, I'm really curious, actually, because of how little they showed us, what everyone thought they were doing. So Sheila, what did you think they were actually doing upstairs? I kind of thought they were having like a tea party. I, I hope. <laughs> okay, Steph, um, what did you think they were doing upstairs? I could not even discern. I was so confused. I had my headphones on, like my earbuds in my ear and the volume turned up and I was listening to what, you know, they were saying upstairs and she was talking about hippity hopping up the stairs and, and Mr. Rabbit and things like that. It just sounded like a, like like she was playing with a little girl. When Ray busts in the room, he he says tea party. Oh, uh, is that what he uh, says? Oh, yeah, maybe yeah. that's where he's, I got it from. He, yeah, he, he said, you know, no goddamn tea parties or something like that. Yeah. So I got the impression that she and Thomas and Mr. Rabbit and probably a fourth, right, would be sitting around the table with their gloves on having some high tea because he, he busts in and he starts screaming about a tea party. That's what sets and him like, off. Yeah. And okay. then Thomas comes downstairs wearing white gloves. And that's something that's synonymous with like a tea party, like a very right. high, fine, high tea. So that's what I guess I got. From so that. for some reason, when I was looking at it as well, I had I saw him, you know, pulling the gloves off. But for whatever reason, I was also going to some sort of version of like a puppet show for some reason. I don't know why, I guess, because he had things on his hands. Right. Mm -hmm. And so and I guess because she was doing the voices of Miss, you know, the the bunny, the whatever. So whatever it was, I thankfully was not going to like any kind of grosser place than just playing a little game um, like that, playing a tea party or whatever, which do you guys think that that was inherently wrong for the mom to be doing? I don't know anyone's feelings on this. Mike, you have a son. Is it wrong to have a tea party with a son? No, no. Um, I mean, maybe I, I could see in 1955, six, whatever it is, um, you know, that from who, who we've been painted as Ray is, that this is the ultimate in effeminate behavior. But in 2020, I, I wouldn't give a shit if Tom wanted to do that. Especially not to the point of going and breaking your wife's arm over it. Holy fuck. I mean, Jesus Christ. Just shocking that that's the reaction. But I mean, that's consistent with who Ray is, right? And these flashbacks, in the narrative of these flashbacks, this is who Ray is, right? I, I, it always seems to me anyway, you know, why don't you play sports? Why don't you be like a boy? Be tough. You know, don't don't do tea, uh, tea parties. You know, you're making him a pussy. That's the whole mindset here. So the part that was really getting to me, however, was I think of Ray as a pretty simple person from the standpoint of, you know, which buttons to push and you push him. Dominic, on the other hand, I know that we've had one listener. And if you're still listening, I feel for you or I'm listening to you in terms that you um, feel like you want to defend Dominic. But in my opinion, he is old enough to know what he was doing. He set up his mother and brother mm -hmm. and he pushed the button. He de mm -hmm. he pushed the detonator. Mm -hmm. knowing, saying they're upstairs playing their little game and knowing that if he made a big mess in the kitchen, that that was already going to piss Ray off. And so he was already enraged. And then to say that he knew what he was doing. And to me, everything that you guys have said this entire time about Dominic's own mental health issues, this 
was like the highest level of sociopath setting someone else to get hurt. I mean, almost worse than Penny Drinkwater almost, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I, one, I think it was worth it in Penny, but two, don't you see a direct connection note to calling the police officer that your brother is boning the wife so that he gets caught? I, it, it, they seem so similar in the forethought of, you know, I'll get you my pretty kind of diabolic actions. Yes, for sure. It was very, very parallel. Mm-hmm. Steph, what did you think about the, the whole flashback overall and what it said about Dominic? It's probably... I don't know if I would say it's common, but I mean, brothers fight and brothers get jealous and say, it's not fair. That's my turn or whatever. So maybe he's just, I thought maybe he was feeling jealous for the mom spending time with Thomas or he just wanted to get some attention. Like, isn't it common for children to act out in a negative way to get attention? So I was sort of thinking along those lines, like he just wanted to be sort of a part of what was going on. I didn't, I'm not sure he really well, I mean, he does know Ray, so maybe he really did think ahead and say, okay, this is going to blow up and he, they're going to get in trouble and I'm not. And I don't know, but it could have been innocent, too, of just I want some attention and maybe he didn't really realize Ray was going to break his mother's arm. The way he says they're upstairs yeah. playing their, their special game, it was so conspiratorial. It's like he was left out, like, though. Don't like, get him, big guy. Yeah. It was definitely very sick the dog on them. Yeah. You know, but I, but I agree with you. I mean, they were right at that age where I would say it seemed like they were maybe six or seven, and I'm leaning towards seven, in terms of like... Like, it's still not fair, but yet... but old enough to know better. Yes, but... But it's still not fair. It's still, like, a part of your active thinking. Because I get a lot of that at my house. Like, well, I didn't get a turn, and you... On and on and on, all day long. So it's like... You could understand this mindset. Yeah, they're very much aware of who got a turn, and you snuggled with her last night. My daughter literally made a snuggle chart because she says that I don't snuggle with her as much as I snuggle. I'm like, seriously? Oh my gosh, I just want y'all to go to bed. Like, ah. I love that she made a snuggle chart. That's she a was, child after my own heart. Yeah, she was like, <laughs> she like had a mom, dad, mom, dad, and she was like circling who snuggled with her. That's I was amazing. like, oh my gosh. Caitlin, she, you are going to rule the world someday. She has someday. like a flip chart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, and evidence, yeah. I like it. She's like, do you, the, the anecdotal evidence suggests. <laughs> yeah, that you you don't snuggle with me as much as you. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's seriously. awesome. But you're and you're right, and let's not lose sight of that. They were children, okay? Yeah. I, I so maybe not the foresight you. to understand exactly what all was going to happen. But he knows that, that Ray was going to flip out. He yes, knows. He knows. I, I think. I think the only thing I would. Well, I agree with you, but I think the only thing I, I want to say to counter to that and Sheila, weigh in here. If this was an isolated incident, fine. If the Penny Drinkwater setting her up to be punished was a, an isolated incident, fine. You put these things together, though, and doesn't it show a pattern of behavior, though, even at seven, six or seven years old? Yeah, I was going to chime in and say, like, Mike, what you said about, like, him setting up to hit the detonator. He, like, trashed the kitchen. He ate the parfaits. He, you know, flour flying everywhere. It was like, you know, a shake and bake commercial. And then Ray comes in and is like, you think he's going to go after Dominic? Oh, but they're upstairs. They're playing their little game. He knew what he was doing. When they come home from the hospital and she's got her arm in the cast, we're in the closet with Thomas listening through the door, but he it's Connie he tells to clean up the kitchen, not Dominic. Dominic knew exactly what he was doing. You know, he knew exactly how Ray was gonna react and set him off like a like a Looney Tunes Acme like bait trap. He set him off and then he didn't even have to clean the freaking kitchen. So I, I don't know. Really, really, really disturbing. It it was and it was really hard. I mean, I'll I'll say I told you guys at the beginning of all this that I was really glad that we hadn't seen the abuse in terms of like we the most that we had seen up to this point was Ray like jumping at at Thomas at the table, mm-hmm. like smacking the table and yelling and the startled kind of stuff when we heard it upstairs. But when we saw Connie come downstairs with blood trickling out of her nose, knowing then he slapped or punched her face. Um, and then, um, you know, she's, she's got the cast on. That was the first time in my recollection here that we saw physical abuse. It was all implied. It was all the mental yelling and all that stuff, but this was, we saw it. And so for me, this was, I mean, I told you guys from the start, like once we get into abuse, child abuse and physical abuse, I'm going to really like, that's going to be really trigger for me. I'm like a huge child advocate in that way that I cannot handle watching that stuff for entertainment makes me sick watching her cower by the window holding her arm before they go to the hospital was really disturbing i mean it was really well it was really well acted this Mm -hmm. whole scene was really well executed especially intercutting with the present time funeral Mm and the way it set them off like the gloves on the casket and the talking about you know kane and setting your brother up and 
it was actually really well executed, even though really super awkward funeral. Really beautiful storytelling in terms mm-hmm. of giving, give Wally Lamb a lot of credit. How many times do men wear gloves? So when you think about the fact that he managed to interweave two stories of the pallbearers wearing gloves and then the reminder of the tea party, that was amazing storytelling to come up with that parallel. Why do you think he knocked on the coffin? Is it because of Thomas was knocking in the closet? Like to, he was like, let me out, Dominic, let me out. Like Dominic went up and knocked on the coffin. No, it was Ray. Did Ray? Uh, was oh. it Dominic or Ray? I thought it was Ray know. who knocked on the coffin. I thought I Ray knocked on the coffin. I take it like a gesture where you do it when something's done and uh, you do that yeah. like dun dun. Like it's like, and it's through. You kind of do that yeah. move. Uh, it's like the last thing people do a lot of times when they're about to leave kind of anything. Like if, if you were going to, mm-hmm. if you sold your childhood home and you were going to leave, the last thing you might mm. do is go like knock, knock, like it's, okay. and it's done kind of thing. If you want a good example of this, the final time Martin Sheen as President Bartlett is in the Oval Office in West Wing in mm-hmm. the last episode, he knocks on the table before he walks out for the final yeah. time. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's like a, a very final I wasn't, thing. Yeah, I was wondering. Cause since th- since we were paralleling with that yeah. whole scene, I was... But I think auditorily, yeah. it was like a perfect parallel yeah. to him knocking to get out and then him being in. I thought also when they explained that, I also did the layering of the fact that the water was holding him down for the waterfall and so he couldn't get out of there either. Mm-hmm. That was like the other layer of him wanting to get out and he couldn't. I thought it was interesting, too. We don't know time-wise when this happened versus, like, the bus incident. But I wonder if this was the birth of his fear of small places. You know, the birth of confined spaces and his claustrophobia. And the panic, right? The panic to the point of not being able Mm -hmm. to just turn the knob the other way. Like, it would make sense of why, if you were put in a closet like that, you know, why you wouldn't remember what to do. Yeah. You know, talking about, like, the children's welfare and things like that, about the abuse. Like, they're, what, seven or eight years old? Nine, maybe? They left home for a couple hours to go to the hospital? I think they were littler. That's what I'm saying, too. I'm, I'm yeah. with you. I, I think they were probably six, seven years old. I'm going to go with like seven feels good. I'm usually pretty good at guessing <sighs> I feel kids like ages. Seven. Yeah. seven feels good to me on that one because it's that I'm not a baby, but I'm not a but I'm not that next level bigger yeah. kid quite yet. Um, right. And uh, and yeah. yeah, seven feels right. And you're right. Like just totally left. And again, though, the seven, seven. And you're in charge of your brother mm-hmm. for however much time you're that little and you're your brother's keeper. Also kind of crazy he didn't let him out of the closet. Right? Okay, That's, well, let's yeah. talk about that for a second. Because is it crazy? Is huh. it crazy? Put yourself in a domestic abuse situation. Put yourself up against Ray. And then go around. Do you let him out or do you don't let him out? What do you guys do? I was thinking, let him out, let him out. At least till you think, like, for a certain amount of time. And say, so you got to get back in before they hurry. Right, like, right, right. You'd, you'd hear the car, like, pulling yeah, in. Yeah, like, quick, get back right. in the closet. So all three of you guys would, you would, all three of you guys would let him out? I mean, for sure, out. shove yeah. him right the fuck back in. <laughs> the car yeah. But your just basic human empathy says you have to let him out. Unless you're very happy he's in there because he was getting special time with Ma and you were not. The only thing I could think that I would probably do is I would open the door. Yeah. And because how he sat up against, he sat next to the door like the whole time. He, it didn't appear that he talked to him the whole time. So to me, I was like, maybe I would open the door. Maybe I would, maybe I would, um, I would open the door, but I would just probably talk to him right there. Like mm-hmm. we'd both sit on the floor talking to each other because here's the thing. Isn't there some amount of chance he's not going to go back in? Right. I was wondering about So then that you would have been the one that let him out. And yep. then now you're now you know that that Thomas gets the brunt of things. Yeah, you could go around in a whole big circle about yeah. how much he could have foreseen could have happened and what choice you would make. But I think that that's a really complicated one too. Remember, he's also a raised good boy too. And I, I think I think there was definitely a thought here that he wasn't going to screw with his standing in Ray's eyes. You know, a lot, lot of lot of pathology, a lot, lot of, of feelings, like, a lot of psychotherapy. A lot of feelings going on in these scenes, but let's uh, let's fast forward to the, the funeral repast, which Dominic incorrectly calls awake uh, later in the episode. We don't talk about it a lot. We haven't talked about it a lot, but Mark Ruffalo really has done a bang up job in this series. I think acting, especially acting both roles. I was blown away by the slow build powder keg when he's in the room looking at the picture with Domenico and his mother. He's drinking. He's listening to the sobs from Ray talking about how much he's going to miss him, miss Thomas. And you could just see the fuse lit and just burning down. 
did this scene play out with the ex big explosion eruption of anger that you thought it was going to or or not so much what do you think she looked it was so bad oh my god just the things he was saying but you could see you could literally see like the smoke coming out of his ears as he was listening to ray i did the best they could and all the rest of it and then like when they start going at it it was just so uncomfortable i've been in those situations i have um i have this in my family you know so when you have people going off the rails at just inopportune moments it sears in your memory and like the people making a mass exit for the door mm -hmm. as fast as they could just res it was so hard for me to watch this scene it was just so hard how about you steph did this did this stick in the line with worst funeral ever worst funeral yes. worst after funeral ever <laughs> for sure but i sort of agree with dominic like this is so frustrating though to for people to be like praising Ray and then they're talking about what a great father he was. And I don't know. It just, to me, it seemed fitting that all of this would just bubble over and blow up. I mean, for him to just say the truth, like you did this and you, you know, were a terrible father. I don't know. It's not the, yeah, it's for, not the setting, but at the same time, isn't it though? Because that's like, everyone's there comforting Ray and right. telling him. You right. did it was that, just that silly bill. But I think, I think him saying things like my conscience is clear. Yes. Like that, you know, go, the probate judge says I was a good man. Those were, that was just gasoline. That was yes. just, you just, you just tilted the gas tank over the fire uh, and, and set him off. What'd you think, Caroline? Did you see this coming? What'd you think of it? Yeah, I did see it coming because of how well done it was acted in terms of him pacing around and him watching and it was like um kind of uh, predatorial in that sense of just stalking kind of around and watching and watching additionally i want to add in that extra fascinating layer that wally lamb did by having the institutional backing of things by ray saying you can go down to the courthouse and get the records and read what the secretary wrote that i'm a good person and then he's sitting there talking to lisa and patel the representative of the institution about of, dominic. you know yes and talking about all the different things about dominic and how you know you've supported him and you guys and, and just like getting it wrong you know but at the same time you have this layer of this the the institutions weighing in and building the pressure of what was really happening and how much it was a part of their story from the beginning. You know, the idea that the courts and these outside unnatural entities that are not supposed to be a part of what you consider family and raising your kids. And I can say that, like, I, this is a teeny moment, but the first time I came into the NICU and a nurse had done one of my girl's hair with a hair bow, and I had never oh. done that before, and I wanted to explode because the idea of anyone institutionally taking away anything that's supposed to be family feels so like you were robbed that having these these layers of these like government people or anyone else for that matter, medical people or anything, a part of your family feels so unnatural. I can't express to you how that would be the thing that tips Dominic. But we all know people like this, though, right, that judge whether or not they're a good person based on the outside forces, based on what the probate judge says. And they, they're always ready to show their press clippings as proof of their good character. I feel like everyone knows someone like this. I know a ton of people like this. I'm related to a ton of people like this. This, again, seemed like a really real moment to me, but also extra infuriating because that was the defense he was falling on. It was interesting to know that he did formally adopt them. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's something that the way that they always acted like Ray was so not their dad. I thought it fascinating, actually, that they formally had been adopted through the courts. I feel like we had heard that, though. Or I had assumed that anyway. I don't know if we heard that or I just assumed that because because he because they had his last name. Because of that, I had assumed that he had formally adopted them. I don't know why I assumed that, but. Did you guys laugh at the line, thanks for the casseroles, as people were streaming out of the house? <laughs> yeah. It was so well needed, just as that release of like all that tension, but it made me literally laugh out loud. The entire part about that feeling of, like, why do people only show up for the funeral, especially when someone's sick or has had a hard go for a long time? The idea yeah. that you show up at that point. It's actually He's a very active thought in my family. Like, if there's limited funds and limited travel time... The conversation always goes like this. We're either going to be able to see this person before they pass away or go to the funeral. I am always going to go see you before you pass away. And I won't be there at your funeral, but I will have seen you before you were gone. Because that to me is everything. And 
I felt like his, like, how about I make you guys a sandwich kind of thing. Like all of a sudden you guys are part of our active day, you know, and it's like, it's so shallow at this point to show up. I, I, I didn't need your support. Now we, I needed your support for the last 40 fucking years. Right. Like, where were you when he was gouging out the roof of his mouth? Where were you for my mom when Ray was, you, you didn't see the broken arm neighbor? You didn't yeah. see it, you know, like, I mean, where were you all these years? I just wanted to say that him saying we bullied him to death, including himself in the blame, I feel like was a turning point for Dominic. I think it's an important turning point in his story and his own kind of character. And because I think the rest of the episode is him on this upswing of character where he starts to make amends afterwards. Sheila, do you feel like that's something that we talked about throughout this entire series? The idea of when is he going to take responsibility, not in the form of physically showing up, but in the form of his participation in the things that are going wrong and not blaming curses and stuff like that. I think this was his moment of reflection. I think like this break, like, you know, everyone talks about like people having a break, like it could be a psychotic break. It could be, you know, just a upheaval like this. But I think after this is when he really kind of settled down. So maybe this was the moment of reflection that he needed. Maybe this was the thing, the lightning rod that he needed to take responsibility and then own it and change from it, learn from it. How about you, Steph? What about, I guess, the idea that he was a bully, that he sort of included himself in the story with Ray? How did this sort of like feel like it was like maybe a turning point? Maybe he was finally able to start healing because he stopped blaming everybody else. Well, I think, too, when you finally confront the person that's causing these conflicts in your life, like he finally said what he needed to say to Ray, unfortunately, in front of, you know, all these people they know or whatever at the funeral, it's not a perfect place but I feel like finally reaching that point of just being honest and be like why don't you just say what really happened and saying to that isn't that what you wanted me to do like we bullied him to like I just feel like they both had to reach that point of just accepting and and being honest about it and confronting it like I think that's sort of where Dominic is with trying to find out, out about his grandfather too like he's just trying to figure out like how all these things fit together and I think he's not going to move on from it unless he starts to own it and understand it so it's a super good point that yeah. he finally, I mean, he finally got it off his chest. Yeah. He finally said it out loud. So in addition to him saying, this is the part I played, he also said, and this is the part you played, and he said it out loud. Yeah. So maybe it was twofold. It yeah. Well, I thought it was also played into what he says to Desolator, where he says, you know, I've never really learned to say sorry for anything I've done. I love um, that scene. I, I think I think that this idea, this funeral scene where he's literally clearing out, you know, the ghosts of the house, mm -hmm. and then the conversation with Dessa is all part of this he is changed from this whole experience. You know, maybe it took Thomas's life to do it, but he does leave this series, I think, a changed person, which is good, right? I mean, at least yeah. something comes from it. Steph, talk about what you loved about that scene. I mean, I've never been divorced, but I think when you ha when you go through a marriage and you're, you've lost a child and, and you haven't dealt with that, and clearly what broke them apart was just not being able to communicate. And so for him to just break down and and be honest and confront the issue and say, it, it was me. Like, I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know how to let you grieve. I Like that to me, just addressing it and actually sincerely apologizing for your part in that can break down so many walls. Like just being honest with someone and saying, I messed up, it can change so much. Whatever like past hurts and bitterness they had between each other over that situation like can start to heal for just from just apologizing it really meant a lot to me to hear him apologize to her sincerely and genuinely and say I just didn't know how to handle it I think it was just really transformative for him you know he's just his eyes were opened like everything got better for him after that break with reality I felt like the line that he says at the very end where we bring it back home here to what this was all about that when he says uh, the things that he knows to be true, love grows from forgiveness, destruction leads to renovation, and the evidence of God exists in our connections to one another. These are the things that he knows to are true. It felt like that whole thing was what finally got him was all the things you guys just talked about, the forgiveness, the, the destruction, the blowing up of the funeral aftermath there was the destruction leading to the renovation of his mm -hmm. relationship with Dessa. You know, everything that was happening in that little paragraph that he says there, it was just like, yeah. And the idea that if we connect back with the people who we always have loved and respected, when Dessa acknowledges Ray's abuse, you guys, my heart just was like, oh my God, 
she is the one person who knows Mm -hmm. what happened and she is going to be the healing force here. Like she is exactly who he needs to be with. I don't want to spend too much time on it because in, in the end, I think it ended up really not mattering much. But were you guys surprised that they left any kind of incest ambiguous, either stated or not stated? Domenico, in the past, the uh, she knows how to keep her secrets, dot, 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 and just leaving it there. It was disturbing. The whole thing was disturbing, and that's why I don't really want to talk about it, because in the end, I mean, he wasn't his father, so I don't think we need to give it any any more credence than Domenico is a sick piece of shit. But, <laughs> but uh, I think that... What, what, I, I think that but I do think that we um, and I don't um, I don't mean to say this because I'm the one that was saying that he could have been the dad the whole time. But I think the way that it was laid out, I think the idea that he did have an inappropriate relationship with his daughter and that he did view her as something other than a child to him. I think that that did play out. And so I feel like I did see that whether or not these two boys were his direct children, which, of course, we're saying they were not. But I felt like it was still very clear to me that he probably crossed lines. And then when Dominic goes upstairs right before the outburst at the uh, the repast, um, he goes into Ma's room and he looks at a picture and it's of her and her father and she's sitting on his lap and she's about a teenager, maybe 12 or 13, I guess what we kind of see in the, in the flashback story. And his hand is just a little too high up her thigh. Yep. I completely yeah. agree with so, that. His hand is right over her hoo-ha spot, which is the super- <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was like he was like doing some kind of Madonna like block the block the JJ pose. It was really, yeah. really, really disturbing. <laughs> no, totally yeah. agree. But I think I mean, I think across the board, I think all of us would agree that whether or not he actually slept with her, I would say that in all other ways, it was an inappropriate um, the way that he described her and felt so much like she was his wife, like mm-hmm. confusing the role of what she was seemed clear to me if not also his lover in some disgusting way. Oh, please, I hope not. Actually, the book did not paint him as terribly as the show ended up t- treating him. Like, there's one point where he gave, like, the drink waters money, you know, because he knew that the, the grandfather got killed, I guess, in a, something that happened in the factory. And he ended up giving the drink waters some money just to help them out. So he wasn't a complete piece of shit, but he was a big piece of shit. That's a super good segue. One other thing quick about the book is that when they talk about Connie's cleft palate, it's often called a hair lip, like an H-A-R-E, like you look like a bunny. Mm. So I was just bringing it back full circle to the whole little bunny thing. Sorry. Nice. That's an excellent, <laughs> excellent layer. But again, well, God, I think, he, like, I think total, he calls it a hair lip, too. I think yeah, he does. Yeah. To Wally Lamb. I mean, I felt like Wally, like, really, I mean, God, he's a great storyteller. <laughs> I think the line that he says, uh, soon enough, soon enough, she'll be old enough to take care of all my needs was the most single disturbing thing uttered in this entire series. And there's a lot of disturbing things that has been said in these six plus hours of I know this much is true, but that was maybe the worst thing I heard. Absolutely. We bagged on her a lot, but what did you think of Dr. Patel calling Dominic out on his pity party that in fact, you are not fatherless. It's just how you choose to see it. Was that a legitimate thing for her to point out that Ray has been there? And what I think she says for all of his shortcomings, he has been a presence for 41 years of your life. Fair, not fair. Let the guy have his pity party or was she right to call him out? I'm going to turn that around on you, Mike, and ask you um, and say, what is a father? Is the father the person who's in your house every single day? Or is the father someone who takes care of you and loves you sincerely what is a father? What makes a father? I don't think father is blood. I think all family is what you make it and who shows up for you in your life, who loves you, who takes care of you, who accepts you for who you are, no matter what. I don't think real family is defined by love or blood, uh, by blood, I mean. But all of that being said, I still don't know that Ray fits that. Maybe to Dominic, you know, all evidence, though, as a general father, I don't know that just being a presence qualifies Ray as being a father. My biological father is still alive and I don't speak to him. You know what I mean? So in a what's the you know the first name of your biological father questionnaire, you can fill that out. But I don't think that makes family. No. Given that, too, I also think that fathers who are deployed at war for many years, divorced fathers, fathers who travel a lot, who are not there day in and day out necessarily, 
are still fantastic, wonderful fathers. And so I think that that all those weird things that people were saying, whether it's the death certificate person or whether it's the priest saying, well, he's there day in, day out, so that makes him the father. I disagree with all of that. Like, I think right. that there's definitely that that does not a father make. I don't think being in someone's life, <laughs> especially the fact that it's hard to even get out the sentence he was consistently in their lives. What about the last seven months when he didn't see him? How are right. you saying he's consistently in his life? You know, it's like, come on. I don't right. know. And well, I, I that's don't what see it is, though, right? I mean, Dr. Right. Hill's right. That sperm and egg doesn't make you a father, but just being there doesn't make you a father either. And you're 100% right. Yeah. Where yeah. were you the last seven months? You were not actually there. And I don't think that any of us believe that the 20 years he spent in the other section of Hatch, you think Ray was there every weekend? Because I don't. So, like, when do we think that he ever really saw him past 20 years old? I just don't think he was that involved. So, big fat question. Sheila's, what, what do you guys think? Do you think that... uh what is a father? I'm going to pass. Okay. How about, how about you, Steph? Uh, I mean, I think that someone you would consider your father is someone who is there for you, loving you and caring for you. Now we can debate whether Ray actually did that. But at the end of the day, Patel's not wrong in saying that you had a father. It's just not what you wanted or what you had in mind. He lived in the house and he adopted them. So I guess he is their father. But I think she's just trying to get Dominic to come to terms with you have these things you think you don't have, but they're just not what you wanted them to be. So mm. also that conversation and then him sort of dealing with Ray and confronting it, they seem to sort of be able to patch things up a little bit. And that's when they started kind of being honest with each other about what Connie had told him and so forth and so on. So I think Dominic had to hear that just to from Patel, just to at least think about it. Like, is Ray someone that I can go to and have a relationship with? friends or father or whatever but in his mind that's not who Ray was and so she's like just trying to say like you had this life you had a mom and a dad it just wasn't what you thought it should be. Sheila what do you think about the idea that Dominic takes care of Ray in the end and becomes the son in terms of you know being there mm -hmm. for every step of the way of the nursing home and the recovery and all that journey? I think Steph just nailed it on the head. I think what Dr. Patel was saying was like basically to Dominic, you have an opportunity to patch things up with the man who was there to become the father that you want him to be. And I think this was Dominic's like wake up call that he needed to step up as well. It's not just the father son relationship. It's the son father relationship too, that builds that. It's not just a one-sided thing. At first I felt sorry for Dominic having to care for Ray. I was like, Oh great. Like, geez, another problem. Like, but then over time, seeing them be able to talk and him be there with Ray throughout this recovery, it it was sort of heartwarming and like, okay, like they can sort of recover from this or move past this and actually form a, a meaningful relationship. So that was another part piece of the puzzle that gave me a little bit of hope for Dominic. I thought it was telling when they're doing the shave and he asks him pointedly the question, you know, he always wants to ask Ray, did my mother ever tell you who my real father is? And Ray gives a really odd answer that we didn't talk about things like that. It was just water under the bridge between us. And I think old Dominic would have exploded on him at that point. If I'm Ray, I don't know if I give that answer with, with Dominic holding a blade in his hand, <laughs> even if it's even if it's a dull safety razor. But this Dominic, though, just kind of like, huh. And like accepts it and moves on. He doesn't forget about it. He's not satisfied, but he doesn't take the old man to task about it. So I liked this back end, not because I thought Ray was a great guy all of a sudden, but I liked what it represented for Dominic in his this upswing of growth. I think I think it was a good mm -hmm. way to show him becoming a better person. You know, the through love comes from forgiveness aspect. I agree, and I'll add on the part that it also was the first time that he chose to become a caretaker rather than feeling like it was coming from the other side, like he had to be. And so, I mean, he didn't have to stay with Ray. There was, a, there was no there's no one to hold him to task at this point, um, whether he showed up or didn't. And he chose to continue to care for him. Sheila, I loved what you said, both of you guys and stuff about the idea of it's a two-way street. You can't say, I never had a good dad. And like, were, were you ever a good son in terms of trying to mend that relation, trying to say what's going wrong, have communication, that type of stuff. I don't mean good son like pandering. I mean like communicating. This is what's going on. I need you to, I need you to address this issue talking back and forth and trying to have now a grown-up relationship I think that once that happened they could actually have somewhat similar to a father-son relationship and my mom having gone through a heart surgery heart surgeries change your personality legitimately change your personality people tend to be a lot more sentimental 
it would be the word that I would say. And like tender, I guess. It takes the edge off a person. And so there's something about that for at least the people that I dealt with at the at the heart center and all that kind of stuff, that they were like, she's probably going to cry more and stuff like that. And I felt like with Ray, I kind of felt like we saw that. Like he was certainly a much different man after, you know, in terms of the fight in him or whatever. He was much more the lamb after. Was that meant to be punny? It wasn't Wally meant Lamb. to be funny, but, but I, but I, but I do feel like that that's true though, right? That it kind of felt like he just, he had always been a lion roaring at everyone. And at the end, I mean, he's literally getting his face shaved and he's kind of saying, I like it here. I like getting kind of taken care of and like that kind of stuff. And you guys giving the house, I know that it's like, well, he should have done that, blah, 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 but he didn't have to do that. No. And he did do that. And there's something to that that feels like things got set right in some ways. I think the last thing we need to talk about is the revelation that he is a drink water. Was that anticlimactic? Did it matter? By the time he finds it out, does it even matter? And maybe by saying that, I'm revealing my feeling on the subject. But Steph, what did you think? What was the importance in, in the end of finding out that he was related to the drink waters? Cousins, though, not step uh, brothers, as it turned out, but still related to Ralph Drinkwater and Penny. Well, I think it was important, number one, just to be relieved of the weird suspicion that his grandfather was his dad. So that feeling of relief was good but I liked how when he went to Ralph and was like hey yeah guess what oh my god we're related he's like dude yeah I know he already knew that and and I think Dominic was just taking it back like I liked when he had that conversation and said why did you even help us and Ralph was like because whether I like you or not like we're we're together in this we're related and I think that that speaks volumes like that's a big deal to recognize that like we're all human and some of us are family and we just take care of each other and I don't know if it was anticlimactic but I think it was important because of that family history with the Drinkwaters of it being rivals or enemies he like the grandfather even called him an enemy and they're really not they're actually family so I think it was important and I and I like that he went to talk to Ralph and sort of had that conversation but I'm glad it wasn't quite as dramatic as we thought. Caroline? Was the reveal worth it? I thought it was important for a couple of reasons. First of all, again, kudos to the storytelling. When we had Dominic go out and see Henry Drinkwater's gravestone and, and we all realized that he was killed at war, how easy was it to understand Connie's fear of the boys going to war when their own father was killed at war? I mean, things just were like, oh my God. Like He just does such a great job of tying up those moments and giving people reasons and motivation for things. Additionally, I thought it was great that he brought in the whole idea that Ralph knew this whole time and just assumed that Dominic was being a dick and was trying to hide it from everyone. I thought that was like, wow, going back to the whole communication and if anyone had ever just talked to each other the the airing of everything would have solved so much here it would have been amazing you know those those twins could have been friends you know at some point i i think that that was wow did you did you wonder at all whether or not thomas knew given how close he was to drink waters growing up given how close he was to his mother growing up and maybe she might have confided in him given that he was quote unquote simple and and maybe not realize that he would have appreciated what it meant did anyone think maybe he actually knew and about his parentage? Yeah, you know what? I think Thomas knew, but I don't think he... They didn't really come out from what I remember. They didn't really come out and say how he knew, but I, I believe Thomas knew, but didn't un, maybe understand the importance of it or be able to explain it in a way that Dominic would believe him. Mike, I'm thinking that you might have read, you've read the same thing or maybe that thing that when we were talking about, did he fall no, off the I ladder? No, I just, I just thought of it right now well, while when, we were talking. When he it, fell it off the me. ladder, there was like a, that, there was that article that I was looking at and it had like a one line thing that was like the mom told the secret to Thomas, but, and Dominic realized that at some point, not what the secret was, but just that, the, that Thomas know. knew and that Dominic realized that Thomas knew and that just pissed him off even more. Mm. But so I thought that, that, that sense was out there. I don't know. I could be totally wrong. I, I did. I, I was thinking more of in this episode when at the beginning, when they're in the graveyard and he mentions Ralph and Thomas just gives him like that really blank stare, like as if like he didn't understand Ralph drink water and what that meant. Plus learning about the the really special relationship him and his mother had while you were sitting here talking, it literally just hit me. That's why I interrupted. <laughs> I, I mean, I think it's I think it's really fascinating. I, I, again, love the storytelling that he visits him at the casino construction site and you realize that Dominic is a home renovator. And you realize they're both in construction. <laughs> like it's like it's the all the whole like family business, the 
like what they could have done together, you know, they, yeah. what they could have built together and, and how we talked about the the family ties that what's in your DNA and the traits that come up and stuff. And Ralph's a builder and he's a builder and all this, just all this stuff. I'm like, oh, my gosh, what great storytelling. Did you guys think it was weird to add the money aspect of it? Well, no, because that was actually a real thing in uh, reservations, especially in Connecticut. I mean, when this story is taking place, Foxwoods Resort is getting ready to open. Mohegan Sun opens up a few years later. And these are huge money-making operations in the state. And if you are a member of the tribe, of, of, of whatever the nation is that controls that casino, you are entitled to a part of the profits. So I, I, thought, it was, I, I thought it was weird insofar as they hadn't spent any time on it. But as far as a real statement goes, it was for sure a real thing in the in the 90s up here anyway. But kind of cool then that, right, that they layered in that history that's real, kind of like the dial-up lounge. Like he used real things that were really happening and maybe didn't he didn't talk about it. But if you were a reader who were interested and you researched that, you'd be like, oh my God, Dominic would have been owed money. You know, how interesting. I, I think just great storytelling on Wally's part. And also consistent with Ralph being suspicious of Dominic that he's only showing up now pretending like he didn't know because I have a lot of cousins now, you know, because of the money <laughs> coming around. What did you think, Sheila? I don't think we you weighed in on this uh, this last point about whether or not it was important. Yeah, I think it's important. It wasn't really anticlimactic because it was like a natural point in the story where it's just like, all right, well, there's really kind of only one story left to tell. My family comes from Ireland and, you know, I'm first generation American. So I still have a lot of ties back to where my family comes from. And there's been a lot of people in the last 50 years or so that have returned to where my mom was born. My mom was born like on the farmland, the home place in Ireland. And people from very far reaches of the earth have tracked down this little plot of land because they wanted to know where they came from. They wanted to know where they belonged. So I think that it is very important to know for certain people, not everybody, most people might not care at all, but there are certain people who do want to know their history and know who are the people that you came from. And then he learned that he was related to someone who was looking out for him the whole time and didn't understand why, you know, in Ralph Drinkwater. So now he understands. And, it, you know, I just think it was a, a really good way to kind of, you know, bring the story to a close. What do you think, Mike? I mean, I, I think as far as it turns out, he didn't really need to know to understand who he was. Um, and I think that's a, I think that's an important part. part. Yes. Our genetics are important to who we are. Our, our family is important to know where we came from. But in the end of the day, you are an individual. You make your own choices. You have to find within yourself how you want to live in this world. And I like the fact that he learned that lesson or seemed to learn that lesson before he learned his parentage or who his father was, because then it, it's more like icing on the cake. I did like that they eventually tied the drink wars together. I think that was something that we had all, I mean, we banded it about last week that maybe there was a familial connection. I'm happy that they resolved it just because I don't like hanging threads. But in the end, I don't think it was actually super important to who he was as a person. All right, you guys. So this is our finale of I Know This Much Is True. Give us like your whole like, did you like it? Would you recommend it to others? Or like, no, skip this one stuff. I'm going to say I didn't necessarily like it in general I thought it was very good storytelling very good acting production all that stuff but it just I didn't like it that much because it just was so heavy and so just sad it's just a lot but I like I said I'm glad that there was sort of this glimmer of hope at the end and that's really sort of lifted my spirits a little bit on this but I mean it's definitely a good show I just didn't love it <laughs> you know I thought it was really a good series. I mean, the storytelling was, was really good. I mean, even though we did, you know, poke holes in it at a couple of different times, but, you know, sort of like the, the coming full circle, the dealing with mental illness, I think this show showed, you know, this in, in a really kind of raw, real way, the way that people deal with it, the way that they deal with the system, quote unquote, you know, the system and how frustrating and, and hopeless at times it feels. It's definitely not a show to watch, you know, if you're looking for something uplifting, but if you're looking for something real, something that's going to provoke some thoughts and things like that, maybe have some conversations. I think this is a good show for that. Mike? I think it's worth the watch. I think it's just executed so well. I think it's made so well. It's worth the watch just for that. I think it is a heavy story. I think it is something you have to appreciate the gravity of it going into it, or else I think you'll feel whiplashed and kind of like, the fuck am I even doing here? Like, why am I doing this to myself? You know, but uh, just because it's difficult doesn't mean it's not worth watching, just to kind of echo or paraphrase Dr. Patel from uh, last week. And that's kind of how I feel about the show. You know, it was a difficult watch. It was a difficult six hours theme wise, but I'm happy at the end of it for having gone through it. 
I felt like the comments of the parable that Patel said could be applied to this entire story. I, I agree with you. There were so many lessons to be learned in terms of communication and forgiveness and moving on and realizing what you can and can't control and what role you played in different situations. Um, I think we're in a unique time in the world where there's a lot of people struggling with a lot of feelings right now of a lot of different things. And so I would say walk in at your own risk in terms of your own mental health and where you are right now. But it is a beautiful story overall. It is so well told. The acting is superb. I think that the special effects and the extra efforts made by Mark Ruffalo to play both parts was amazing. I never for a moment was taken out of the scene because of a special effect gone wrong or somehow it not seeming seamless. Um, and so for all of that, I give them an extreme amount of praise. If you can stomach it and you can get through it, it's a great moment for you to have some reflection in your own life. So I give two thumbs up to I Know This Much Is True. This is Caroline. This is Steph. This is Sheila. And this is Mike. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening. This has been an original Pod Clubhouse production. Pod Clubhouse is a podcast network dedicated to encouraging collaboration among podcasters and friends to bring a fresh voice and diverse perspective on a wide array of content. Please visit and leave a comment for us at podclubhouse.com. Rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast feeds on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Pod Clubhouse. Our DMs are always open, and we'd love to hear from you. Pod Clubhouse.